president decree something via Twitter? I sincerely doubt it, but I had to write a blog post about something that Donald Trump tweeted, which at this point shouldn't be a surprise to anybody anymore, but I'm going to go over what I wrote in my blog post about it. Also have a couple of sound bites regarding the matter. Ben Shapiro and Adam Carolla testified on free speech. They had some interesting things to say about it. And also, Justin Amash sat down with Reason Magazine, Reason TV, in an interview and said a bombshell statement that I think carries a lot of truth. Those are just among the topics that I'm going to talk about today, so get ready and tighten your seatbelt. And I know I'm ranting at this point. I don't know why I say tighten your seatbelt. You might not actually even be listening in the car. I don't know, but it's a phrase. Get ready and tighten your seatbelts because this is... Shortcast! Welcome, comrade. This is Fritzcast. Indeed it is. It's Monday, July 31st. And yesterday, very special birthday shout-out to my mother, who is blank years old. Her age shall not be mentioned because she feels old. I don't know why. It's like I do. Anyway, um, so th- 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 yeah, happy birthday to my mother. I actually just got back from a birthday breakfast. With my mother, because I wanted to give her a birthday breakfast. I would say it was a success. I feel stuffed now. Also tired. I am tired as hell. And I'll tell you why I'm tired as hell. It's because my schedule change goes into effect now. So this would normally be my day off, and tomorrow would normally be my day off. But they're not my days off. I have to work straight up through till Friday, when I have Friday and Saturday off. So I'm a little tired. Plus, I got froze Saturday night and the Sunday morning. So that was mandated 16 hours. Or rather, it was an additional 8 hours mandated, making it 16 hours, making me awake for a full 24 hours. So I'm still recovering from that, too. That's why I sound so chipper. Or is that just my stunning personality? I don't know. We'll figure out as we as we go on, as we carry on with the show. This Thursday, uh, coming up, I also have an interview for trainer educator downstate. So we'll see how that goes. I don't want to focus or talk too much about it because I don't. I have a certain level of, I guess, superstition, uh, vo- voodoo, perhaps. I don't know what I don't know what you would refer to it as. I have superstitions I like don't talk about potential opportunities because you don't want them squandered and you don't want to jinx anything even though it's ridiculous to think like that. I don't want to I don't want to talk about it. I'm uh, I'll prep for that interview and I'll I'll go and I'll do it and hopefully I impress. That would be nice. That would be the thing to do, impress people at an interview for potentially, you know, good focus change with the career. And yeah, so we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Drinking a lot of coffee this morning too, getting me, uh, getting me up and about, getting me moving. I don't think to, I don't think today's gonna warrant a bike wa- r- bike ride. Although it is very, very, it's looking pretty nice outside. 
You can see blue skies. The sun is out. And yesterday was like a beautiful, like it was a quintessential perfect day. There wasn't like an ounce of humidity in the air. It was actually cool outside, like a nice little cool, crisp air. And when you get that, it's beautiful around here. You don't get it that often, though. It's Delaware. It likes to jack up the humidity into the 88 percentile, so to speak. But it was it was a beautiful day to sit down in the backyard before going to work because I, you know, even though my days off are changing to Friday, Saturday, still don't maintain a normal-esque work schedule. Hence the, you know, interview coming up on Thursday, for example. It was a nice day. Like, my wife posted up in the hammock. I grabbed one of my zero-gravity lawn chairs, which are not... I don't know if you've ever been in them, but they are, like, they are insane. You can just lie out. They're comfy as hell. And I laid out, and I started reading uh, my book. I'm on the last full measure now. For those of you who don't know, that's part of a Civil War trilogy of books uh, by Michael Shahara... And Jeff Shara, uh, Michael Shara, of course, Jeff Shara's father. He wrote the book called The Killer Angels, which later became the movie Gettysburg. Both fantastic pieces of media. Uh, then Jeff Shara, after Michael's passing, went back, wrote the prequel Gods and Generals. It's an okay movie. It's not the best movie uh, in terms of comparing it with the book. But excellent book, and Jeff Shara closed out the trilogy with The Last Full Measure. He's also written dozens of other books as well on the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, back to the American Revolution War, or the Revolutionary War, excuse me. If we're going to talk, we got to talk proper. You know, if we're going to talk, if, if we're going to talk about it, we're going to talk proper. Mm-hmm. So I've been I've been becoming immersed in these books so much to the extent that within the past week I've watched Glory, the Civil War movie on the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Regiment of African American Soldiers for the Union during the Civil War. Excellent movie with uh, a great cast of characters: uh, Matthew Broderick, Carrie Elwes, Denzel Washington, um, Morgan Freeman, to name a you. I've watched that film within the past week. I've watched The Patriot, which is probably to a very, very, very lesser extent uh, in terms of historical context, but still a great film in my eyes. One of my favorite films, if uh, just, just generally speaking, The Patriot is up there for me. Be, be, becoming immersed in this world, and I'm starting like I'm wondering if it's just the romantic like the romanticizing of history of the past, or if in this day and age people just lack that fundamental gumption. Like I'm trying to think of the word. That, like it's it seems today that there's such a lack of this integrity, of this spirit, of this honor, of this ideal in the world. like uh, Maybe that's why I'm sunk so much into these books about the about, about truly, I mean, trying times in formulating the nation. I want to read you this passage that I read in the last full measure the other day. 
that really just it kind of like it kind of gripped at me deep down. So this is uh, from a chapter written from Ulysses S. Grant's perspective in the last full measure. So here we go. Lincoln said in a low voice, This is all so new. The idea of one nation treating all of its citizens the same, that we do not divide ourselves into classes. I made a speech last November, you may have read about it, the dedication of the National Cemetery at Gettysburg. It bedeviled me for the longest time. The first words. How to begin that. How to express that very thought. Our youth. Europeans measure their history in centuries. The Chinese, my God, their system has been around for thousands of years. It is no wonder that this union, this precious child of a country, is having such problems. There is so little to guide us. No example we can follow. We have no one to turn to except ourselves. The Constitution, this new idea, has been around for less than a century. He paused, shook his head. Four score. I don't usually go for that poetic. Grant nodded. He heard of the speech, the few short minutes that so many were now quoting, had been surprised at the controversy in the newspapers, the opinions and the politics swirling around the little speech like a hurricane. He thought of Washington. No, this is not where I want to be. Lincoln looked at his hands, turned them over, flexed his long fingers, said in a low voice, Perhaps we are simply arrogant. Perhaps we have not earned the respect. Perhaps the rest of the world should not take us seriously. But if we succeed, if we can end this rebellion and bring ourselves back together again, if we prove that this system works, we become a threat. What then will stop others? Anywhere people allow themselves to think, people who do not wish to suffer under someone else's domination, who can use us for inspiration? What will stop this system from spreading all over the world? Can you imagine that, Mr. Grant? Can you imagine the power of that? I'm guessing there are many. Call them what you will. Kings, monarchs, despots. Listening to reports of our war. Staring out the windows of their enormous palaces. Wondering if there is not some John Adams or Benjamin Franklin or George Washington somewhere out there. Someone who will rise up out of the muddy fields or the oppression of some small village and sweep them away. He looked at Grant, sat back in the chair, shook his head again. Forgive me, Mr. Grant, I am somewhat of an idealist. Some around here think... I'm something of a lunatic. Comes with a job, I expect. Grant said, Quite all right, sir. I do understand the value, what we are fighting to keep. It's more than just the oath I took or the rally around the flag. Lincoln sat up straight, and Grant saw the flash of fire. Lincoln pounded a heavy hand on the table. Yes, Mr. Grant. 
I have no doubt of that. I also have no doubt that you are aware if we do not win this war, if we do not show the world that this system can work, that we can build a nation and manage our affairs from the power of an idea written on a piece of paper, then that idea will die out. And it must not die out. If we lose this war, something of great value will be lost with it. History will record that the idea did not work, that our piece of paper did not carry the power of a monarchy. The Constitution was not as efficient as the power of an elite ruling class. That it is acceptable for one class of human being to possess and dominate each other. There is a significance to this that goes far beyond our borders and far beyond our time. Lincoln pushed back the chair, stood up, held out a hand, and Grant saw the hard glare in the eyes giving way to something softer, the warmth returning. Grant stood, took the hand, and Lincoln said, And now the matter is in your hands. Take good care, Mr. Grant. It did grip at me. Sorry, book flopping on the table. It, it did. This point in history, the Civil War, it fascinates me. It truly was a time of really ideological arguments uh, going on. And reading these books has been a fascinating journey inside the minds of some of the players of the time. Think about those words, though. I mean, that, that we believe that we are not a society ruled by class, yet it seems, it seems that there is two class of citizens, to me at least anyway. It seems that as if, the, as if there are those, the politicians, and then the people. The politicians certainly don't have to worry about much of anything. They're in a job that they were elected to by the people, getting paid six-figure salaries with top-of-the-line health care, with top-of-the-line pension and retirement packets, just for serving, just for serving one term. This used to be a service. Being in the government it used to be a service. It's not a service now. It's, a, it, it's not a service now. I don't want to talk about Chuck Schumer and, and Harry Reid and John McCain and, and all these people who have been, quote, serving the public. They've been, they've been, they've been, for lack of better terms, CEOs of companies with far less responsibility. We barely even hold our politicians accountable for attending meetings and casting votes on bills that we uh, we voted them in to do i feel as if this whole system has 180'd from itself and i'm not the only one that believes that listen to this clip from an interview with Justin Amash that Reason TV conducted. Uh, on your Twitter feed, you have pinned a George Washington quote warning about uh, parties and factions. I've seen over the last month, you've had events with 
a couple of uh, high-profile Democrats and uh, libertarian-leading uh, ones, to be sure, Jared Polis and, uh, and Beto O'Rourke. What are you doing? You going rogue? What are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> I think the parties are a problem. Um, that became more clear to me uh, when I entered Congress and now have been in Congress for a few years. I can see that a lot of uh, the, the uh, inability to move forward on more libertarian ideas is because we have this two-party system that really controls all of the levers. And um, you have uh, Republican leadership that basically decides all of the outcomes in advance and doesn't allow um, issues to be debated on the floor. And I believe that a lot of these libertarian views would be successful in a, in a floor vote if they were allowed to be debated. But we don't have that opportunity under this leadership team. And you're not going to get that opportunity under Democratic leadership. So it's, it's not that the parties are problematic because bipartisanship is, is the, a cure-all and it's the greatest thing in the world. There's a lot of bad things that happen through bipartisanship. In fact, many of the worst pieces of legislation passed with overwhelming bipartisan majorities. So it's not a call for uh, bipartisanship, it's a call for nonpartisanship. Um, I think that uh, we need to move away from this idea that you just have two parties who are at war with each other and uh, one party is good and the other party is evil uh, because that leads to all sorts of um, uh, bad outcomes. You get end justifies the means thinking in just about everything and uh, liberty doesn't really have an opportunity to flourish in, in that sort of environment. So what do you do? I mean, you can nonpartisan your own brain, but you're still a Republican, still in, in the system is still like this. What, what can you do tangibly to further that kind of goal or ethos? Well, I'll, I'll keep speaking about it for one thing. Uh, I speak to young people all the time and try to encourage them not to be beholden to these two parties. They don't have to be a Republican or Democrat. They can be something else. Um, right now, I, I would say that the largest group out there are independent people, people who aren't um, uh, aligned with one of the two parties. So we need to make sure that the next generation is thinking about this, and hopefully over time, these two parties start to fall apart. They're getting smaller each year, which is why I think the partisan rhetoric is uh, getting elevated, because they're actually smaller and smaller each year, and they're becoming more extreme. Just to make sure that you know you just said, <laughs> you're a Republican advocating for the Republican Party to fall apart. Well, I think over time, uh, that's what has to happen. Wow. I think both parties, not just the Republican Party, I think the Democratic Party as well. Um, I don't think that in the modern era, you need this sort of institutionalized party system to run for office. Uh, back when you didn't have an internet, it made more sense. Uh, people didn't even know who they were voting for. They didn't meet the people... They couldn't hear about the particular individual's views, so they had to depend on the party system to tell them uh, who to vote for. And in, and in this day and age, you don't need that. I can go straight to Twitter or Facebook or elsewhere and tell people exactly what I stand for. And, um, and young people, I think, understand that better than our generation and older generations. So I think there's an opportunity to really have a paradigm shift here, but it might not happen in the near future. It, it might be the next generation that has to do that. You can listen to and or watch the entire interview conducted by Matt Welch and Reason on Reason's YouTube page. It's about a 30-minute interview, and it's a very good one. Justin Amash is a very good champion of what a libertarian is supposed to be right now and is one of the few that are actually in the House of Representatives.
But did you hear what he said? That the political party should die. That they need to die off. That there is this hyper-partisanship. Okay? There's this hyper-partisanship of left versus right. It's a paradigm. They don't really have the opportunity to debate things. Bills are pushed forward. They're, they're hundreds of pages long. They're not given time to read them. This is why people like Rand Paul have come out with bills titled, like, the pork bill, saying that bills should be limited, they should be singular, they should be dealing with one subject. They shouldn't be. These came up in the presidential debates where Hillary Clinton was talking about Bernie Sanders voting against auto bailouts when, in fact, they were voting on huge, massive bailouts that included the auto industry and the banks and, and, and X, Y, and Z. And then you had people like Bernie Sanders who had to sit there and defend himself during a debate about why he voted against an auto industry bailout because it included Wall Street bank bailouts that he didn't support. And then there's this, there's that other aspect where I'm sitting here saying, why is the government voting on bailing out a business if the business is going to sink? The business needs to sink. You don't fluff it up with money and keep it afloat for no reason, the market will find some solution in terms of businesses. But the underlying point, the political parties, this is why I am not a Democrat. I am not a Republican. I don't say that I'm a liberal or a conservative. I say I'm a libertarian because neither philosophy fits the bill for me. And I believe that playing so dives right back into this, what I read here, what I read in this book, The Last Full Measure. Lincoln, maybe he never actually said those exact words, but I'm convinced that he believed that. And I'm convinced that that needs to get knocked into people's heads nowadays to get the point across. We, 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 we are totally... Not only are we ruled by class, not only are we a society full of classes, now we do it to ourselves. It's actually done to, to try to put people up on, on pedestals, to try to jettison them because of unfairness and setbacks and other things. What does what, what what does the political parties do right now? They have votes segmented, you know? There's the, mi there's the minority vote. There's the LGBTQ community, you know, th th these things that are separated to advance causes, you know, feminism. I'm not saying that there's not anything wrong at the idea of being proud of yourself if you're LGBTQ. Or if you, you know, being proud of your heritage or being proud of um, your creed, you know. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it at, at the outset, but that's why I always get wary at big political parties. Now, let's, uh, let me just, you know, let me switch focus to Donald Trump's tweet. Now, I know I blogged about it, and that is at fritzcast.wordpress.com. That's actually my most viewed blog post to date. The tweet about transgenders is, was the title of the article. I'll link it in the description below. 
Now, in the terms of the LGBTQ community, transgenderism, and all that, I have no stake to claim. All right, I am a, I am an agnostic, spiritually lost individual right now, at, as best as I can put it. So I don't have, uh, I don't have that religious belief pushing me one way, or social belief pushing me one way. Over all this. Transgenderism, at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit here and act like I understand it. I don't. I absolutely don't. And I'll bluntly tell you I don't understand it. I think that there's a lot that they don't understand about it, as in medical professionals and mental health professionals and things of that nature. There's a lot that they're still learning about it. It is what it is, okay? So Donald Trump sends this tweet out. After he was consulted... from his military heads about, specifically, I believe it was, transgenders and seeking gender reassignment surgeries while enlisted. Then Trump just goes on in a whole level ban of transgenders from the military on his Twitter, which, by the way, president tweeting something is not policy, is not anything. That should be evident because the very next day, all the generals came out and Mattis came out, uh, joint Joint Chief of Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Dunford came out. They all came out saying that they're not making any changes to military policy until President Trump officially declares something, and Twitter is not a way of officially declaring anything for the President of the United States of America. Now, Donald Trump should probably lay the hell off of Twitter. Face it, America. The president that you are trying to justify and say is the greatest and he's making America great again and all that. He's a 70-plus-year-old man who sits around on his phone 90% of the time tweeting. That's the same thing you bitch about millennials doing at home in their parents' basement. So what makes him any different? Because he's a billionaire, he has billions of dollars, and it doesn't really matter if he fumbles the ball for the nation because it doesn't. At the end of the day, nor nor do I think he actually cares. Those of you out there thinking that Donald Trump cares so much, no, he doesn't care. So what's he do? He takes to Twitter, he throws out that tweet. And what, what happens? Everybody, of course, there's a wildfire now. Everybody needs to look at where the wildfire is. Panels uh, on, on news discussing things. Now, there is one thing that I want to point out, a sound clip. This is from Sarah McBride. Uh, she is transgender activist, sits on the, I believe, chairman of the national, uh, national, what is it? National Press Secretary of the Human Rights Campaign is where she sits. Interesting fact that I did not know until recently. I went to the same middle and high school as this person. Albeit, I had little, little interaction with them, and at the time, I knew them to be under a different name as a different person. I had no idea that she had uh, worked her way up in transgender activism and, and is now chair, you know press secretary of... Uh, the National Human Rights Campaign. Now, she was asked by CNN 
about this policy and, and this is what she had to say. Well, what's clear is that for the roughly either six to 15,000 transgender people who are actively serving in our military right now, this policy change would have sweeping impacts on their lives, their careers, their families. Uh, this is really a mean-spirited, unpatriotic, and dangerous attack on people who are bravely serving their country right now. Uh, and while it's still early in terms of what the policy will actually shape up to be, uh, what it threatens to be is, is an attack on as many as 15,000 active duty transgender service members, people who are bravely serving this country, something that I'll remind President Trump he failed to do after five deferments to Vietnam. And that is a solid point, which really turned me off from Donald Trump's tweet being blanketed entirely against transgenders in the military service as if it's that big of a burden on the military. I did counter it, and I did say, okay, there might be a question here, there might be something to look at here with people undergoing transition surgery and transition periods because... I, I don't know how invasive those surgeries are. I haven't looked up that information. I don't know. But I imagine if you're going through gender, gender reassignment surgery, it's probably burdensome. It's probably a lengthy process, and it probably takes a while for those things to heal in place. And that might be a legitimate question for the military to look at from a health standpoint. But aside from that, you have... An unknown number at this time, anywhere between 5,000 and 15,000 serving currently in the military and who also have served. And at the end of the day, does it matter? Yeah, you have somebody who's dedicating themselves to the Army, to, to the defense of the United States. Now, again, we could go into big arguments about I don't like what the United States is doing militarily around the world. But that's a whole different can of worms, a whole different debate, and a whole slew of podcast episodes that could go on and on and on and on and on forever. I believe Donald Trump did, with that tweet, what Donald Trump does. He has a weapon of mass distraction in Twitter. Throw some nonsense out there. It gets the news media. It gets everybody looking at the dumpster fire over here. And that's what everybody looked at. What was going on on the other hand? What was going on outside of these events? Who's to even say? Because in our 24-7 news cycle, that dominated everybody's attention. Very ridiculous. Now, amid all that chaos, I just got a blip on my phone about how um, General John Kelly has has been sworn in as President Donald Trump's new chief of staff just today. Um, of course, former chief of staff Reince Priebus is out. Uh, among other people that have left, Sean Spicer stepped down from press secretary, I believe is the official title. But Sean Spicer stepped down. He got tired of standing up in front of the crowd trying to you know defend this bull crap every day. Now that sits in the hands of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, so John Kelly's expected to bring some order to the chaotic White House. Good luck, buddy. Good, good luck. It's going to take everything you got, if not more. 
Now, I want to focus on something that happened over the past week. It was uh, Adam Carolla from Carolla Digital Podcast One Networks and Ben Shapiro Daily Wire. They were asked to Congress to testify about an issue that's been going on that you might have caught up on with the news about the campus free speech, social justice warrior, safe space, microaggression, yada, 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 yada. Ben Shapiro, Adam Carolla, they were called upon Congress to come and testify on it because they have been uh, victims of it. Uh, ben Shapiro, number one, it's amazing to see the, the lies that people come up with and just the overall around hate for disagreeing with somebody and what happens on these college campuses now blo- to, to block people from speaking. Um, I don't bring up like Milo Yiannopoulos because at the end of the day, Milo is a troll just making a lot of money off a of controversy, and I don't care for that. There's no substance there, so I don't, I don't focus or pay attention to it. But Ben Shapiro, for example, gets a lot of hooting and hollering and hate from these social justice warrior campus people who are trying to bar free speech on campuses, which is scary. That should scare people. We're talking about free speech. When you start talking about regulating speech to a degree, I mean, it seems on the on the surface people seem to forget that it seems rather easy to say, like, oh, we don't want people to say hateful things and we don't want people to be offended and all that. How far does it go? How far do you let it go? You don't. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. You know, it's thanks to that very amendment that we can all get on Facebook and Twitter and and stand at the pulpits and stand at the street corners and say what is on our mind, that we can speak out against our government. Those are quintessential freedoms. And by the way, they don't come from the government. Free speech is under assault because of a three-step argument made by the advocates and justifiers of violence. The first step is they say that the validity or invalidity of an argument can be judged solely by the ethnic, sexual, racial, or cultural identity of the person making the argument. The second step is that they claim those who say otherwise are engaging in what they call verbal violence. And the final step is they conclude that physical violence is sometimes justified in order to stop such verbal violence. So let's examine each of these three steps in turn. That was Ben Shapiro. Here's Adam Carolla. About now. Uh, and uh, they pulled the plug on it. They gave us no good reason why we couldn't speak there, and we actually had to get attorneys involved to go back and speak at a later date. Um, we're talking a lot about the kids, and I think they're just that, kids. We are the adults, and I don't think we are doing the children. I mean, these are... 18 and 19 year old kids that are at these college campuses. They grew up dipped in Purell, playing soccer games where they never kept score and watching Wah Wah Wubsy. And we're asking them to be mature. We need the adults to start being the adults. Um, Studies have shown that if you take people and you put them in a zero gravity environment, like astronauts, they lose muscle mass, they lose bone density. We're taking these kids in the name of protection, we're putting them in a zero gravity environment and they're losing muscle mass and bone density. They need to live in a world that has gravity. When you 
you need to expose your children to germs and dirt in the environment to build up their immune system. Our plan is put them in a bubble, keep them away from everything, and somehow they'll come out stronger when they emerge from the bubble. Well, that's not happening. Children are the future, but we are the present, and we're the adults, and we need to act like it. And I feel that um, what's going on on these campuses is it, we need law and order. We need to bring back law and order, but I think if we just had order, we wouldn't need law. So could we just bring back order and could the faculty and administration on these campuses act like faculty and administration and most importantly, adults who are in charge of these kids who need some gravity in their life. Thank you. Now, if you truly want a task, go on YouTube. Just YouTube, uh, search Ben Shapiro, Adam Carolla, testify. You will get the full, I believe it's hour or more, testimony of both Ben Shapiro and Adam Carolla talking about this college campus free speech business. And I implore you to listen to it. It's very important. It's a thing that's going on that's under the radar, so to speak. So, did I lap a lot, a lot of knowledge down on you this week? Did I give you something? I hope I did, because I'm calling the podcast off. Uh, this is normally my day off right now. Um, like I said, it's normally my day off. I'm, I'm completely, my mind isn't in the zone that, like, oh, hey, dude, you're going to work tonight. You're going to work tomorrow night. And so I have to be prepared so to speak and get prepared and get there mentally so thanks for listening guys where's my play out music there we go so guys do me a favor like this share this and comment on it share it to your social media facebook twitter whatever you can catch me on twitter at fritz qs f-r-i-t-z-q-s on facebook we're on facebook.com slash the fritzcast and of course the blog, the website, fritzcast.wordpress.com. Keep your eyes peeled for more blogs and articles coming up. Love you and see you next week.